Hey everybody, this is Jack. Welcome to Let's Talk Recovery and Family. Glad you guys are tuning in. Been really getting a lot of good feedback on um, some of these uh, sessions I've had recently. I guess stress is a, a, a big deal to some people. That's kind of what I've been talking about in the last couple of uh, sessions as uh, stress-related um, things, because uh, it does. Stress is all-encompassing. It's fair game. Um, you don't have to be an alcoholic or an addict to have to deal with uh, stress every day, right? If you've got kids, you've got a job, right? If you've got a car payment, mortgage, whatever, you've got stress. It is fair game. It doesn't matter who you are. That is for sure. Stress is, uh, you know, it's up there, one of the top two, three, I guess, killers, because people don't pay attention to what their bodies are doing, right? Doctors explain it, and, oh, yeah, I had that sign. Yeah, that sign sounds familiar. No wonder you had a freaking heart attack, right? we got to pay attention to our bodies. Anyway, I'm hoping, again, that you have gotten something out of that. Um, I greatly uh, appreciate your time listening, and also... Um, really consider hitting that support button. Um, it really does help. Um, I appreciate whatever it is you feel like you can contribute. It helps me keep my electronic stuff up to date. The last thing I talked about in our last session is uh, um, psychological defenses to stress, right? Uh, and part of that is how viruses attack your body. We talked about the immune system. Uh, automatically springs into action to protect your physical health. When you've got high stress within the body, uh, in a similar way, over time, you will have developed a psychological defense system to protect yourself from stress. So the, the body jumps into action, right? It does all the things that it's designed to do when you start to feel stress, right? There's a whole lot of things that happen inside the body uh, where it, it protects itself and prepares itself for defense, right? This is where a lot of uh, um, the fight-or-flight things come into play um, when the brain begins to and the body begin to panic but prepare, right? Those defenses usually operate without being fully aware of them. It's just things that the body's designed to do. The self-defense mechanisms are natural and processes and it's true you know sometimes we don't always take care of ourselves you know and if you get even if you know you got to be at work the next day it's already stressful thinking about it for some people and on top of that you wake up late oh no oh no coffee don't even chill that out right coffee might even make it worse right just one of those things. But during active addiction, you probably develop some very strong defense mechanisms to protect yourself from pain and stress and to help you deal with a catatonic or chaotic, not catatonic, chaotic. You might feel catatonic at times, but a chaotic life. But in recovery, the defenses that helped you deal with life while you were drinking and using drugs can actually cause you problems because they are not suited to your new life. So stress becomes 
more influential on the body. Your old defense mechanisms that protected you during active addiction can actually hinder your emotional and psychological growth. Right? Let me repeat that. Old defense mechanisms that protected you during active addiction can actually hinder your emotion and psycho- emotional and psychological growth. You ever noticed, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard the term, but it's out there in the meetings and stuff. We talk about dealing with 40-year-old adolescents, right? And you've heard doctors say that um, using drugs or starting drugs at an early age stunts your emotional growth, right? Well, if 15, let's say, you start using drugs significantly enough that it stunts your natural spiritual and emotional growth, Right. Let's say it stops developing at 38. You get clean and sober. Right. 39, 40, you get clean and sober, but you still have a tendency to react to things like a 15 year old would. Right. That's what we're talking about. All those things that are supposed to develop in adolescent years don't. They get stunted. Right? They get stunted, and therefore, you've got a 40-year-old who just got clean and sober, but still tends to react to things as a 15-year-old would. But the problem is, this 40-year-old guy is built like a 40-year-old guy, not a 15-year-old kid. Right? So, you got to see that... You know, pouting is pouting, whether you're 5 or 55. It just looks different, and we throw bigger toys. That's all that is. Looks different, and we throw bigger toys. Common self-defense mechanisms. Let's talk about repression. A lot of people are probably more familiar with repression. People with depression tend to stifle things uh, and try not to act or even pay any attention to what's going on or they try not to but with this uh, defense mechanism people do not let themselves think about the threatening or painful thoughts feelings desires memories or beliefs right repression you don't want to think about it some people call it selective remembering yeah maybe so although individuals may not be conscious of the repressed thoughts and feelings, these unconscious thoughts may continue to affect your behavior by causing anxiety and depression. There's the hook, guys. And gals. You got something that happened to you in your childhood or earlier adulthood, uh, and it was a, a, a real a real issue at the moment and truly affected how you felt. In the moment, whether it was abuse of any kind, life-threatening, um, family or not, right? If it was a significant event that later in life, as you get older, your body and brain try to protect you from, this thing says, I'm reading from the Living and Balance curriculum, as I've informed you guys that I uh, uh, refer to, it says these unconscious thoughts I hope you guys know what unconscious thoughts are. These unconscious thoughts may continue to affect their behavior 
by causing anxiety and depression. So you got to find a way to get that stuff healed. You got to find a way, whether it's a therapist, um, your pastor, your private doctor, right? Bring up the fact that you're feeling some anxiety and depression, if you are. And then explain some maybe devastating event that may have happened early in your life. It's amazing how long those things can stay in the body and fester. It's just absolutely mind-boggling. I see those people every day in addiction treatment at 50 years old that are just now trying to get over something that happened in their childhood. And since that time frame to current, maybe have blown through a couple of marriages, right? Drinking has uh, impacted their life. Maybe they've lost and gained two, three, four, five jobs. Who knows, right? You can't let this stuff fester. As an example, the person may have a hit, um, a person may have hit a child while drunk. The memory of this incident may be repressed, and the person may honestly not remember that it happened. However, this person may still become very anxious around children and not realize why. Think about that scenario. Right? This person may have hit a child while drunk. Doesn't say, but I'm assuming that it was in a car. The memory of this incident may be repressed. And the person may honestly not remember that it happened. It's funny how people, you see these people on Dr. Phil or, you know, other doctor shows. Like, I'm not sure. I don't recall. And everybody's calling BS on them. <laughs> well, in a lot of cases, it is true. It was even traumatizing to them, and they have forgotten or tried to repress it. Again, however, this person may still become very anxious around children and not realize why. That's repression, not safe. Let's look at emotional insulation, another way of uh, self-defense, right? Another mechanism. People who have been disappointed many times will often try not to get too involved with things going on around them in order to keep from being disappointed again. Some people can emotionally distance themselves from events, even if the events are important to them. While emotional insulation protects people from being hurt, it lends to help hope it leads to hopelessness and despair. And it's crazy that some people may not even realize that they're in these situations and, and not quite fully engaging with the people around them or what's going on around them. Right? Emotional insulation. It's crazy. Um, by never allowing themselves to be happy and excited about anything, such people may just become depressed or give up. So sometimes people talk about those people that have issues um, with commitment. Maybe it's not so much a commitment, right? Maybe this could be something in their life has happened 
and it's traumatized them too. And so it's not just the one person they safeguard themselves from, but it's people in general. I think it just looks more obvious when someone is trying to begin a healthy relationship with them is when this type of self-defense mechanism stands out. If you're just a general acquaintance, a friend, you're not going to notice those subtle things where they pull away. But if you're trying to get into a relationship with somebody, it's probably a little more obvious. But that is why. Intellectualizing. Here's another self-defense. Intellectualizing. This is similar to emotional insulation. However, the emotional reaction that would normally accompany a painful event is avoided by a seemingly logical explanation that revolves or removes uh, the explanation that removes the painful feeling of the event. For example, a person may reduce the pain experienced from a parent's death by saying, he lived a full life and died without pain. Right? We all do that. Even though we're all hurting people, we do it. At least they're in a better place. They're not feeling any pain anymore. Right? Feelings of disappointment are avoided by saying, I could have, it could have been worse. Right? I've heard people say that about someone that they've lost, a close family member. It could have been worse. Right? So what do we do with those self-defense mechanisms? Right? And they're not the only ones. There are more out there. One another one is regression. Regression is a self-defense mechanism in which people return to ways of dealing with the world that they have long since outgrown. It is like retreating to an earlier stage of life involving less mature behavior. Oh, that's why we call it regression. For example, someone who feels unattractive and unwanted may criticize and tease others about their physical appearance. Uh, I guess so, like a 12-year-old. Since this way, or since this was the way they dealt with the problem when they were in grade school, they regress, right? Man, have you ever told yourself not to get your hopes up because things would probably turn out badly, right? Do any of these fit you? When you avoid having any hopes for the future, what are they? You are involved in one of those, repression, emotional insulation, intellectualizing, or regression, right? It's tough to say. It's tough to say. Another thing is, I'll explain this, and this is mostly for my alcoholics and addicts, and you're probably uh, not going to like it so much. Um, so let me bring this up. Self-fulfilling prophecy. 
What is that, you ask? Okay, here we go. Families, you should probably listen to this too. A self-fulfilling prophecy, right? The self-defeating self the self-defeating suffering-inducing recovery sabotaging statement. Statements like that that we've made to discuss, right? People always say, you know, you, there's power in words. You shouldn't talk like that, right? Maybe there's some truth to that. These statements become true because we act in ways that make them come true. Oh. Oh. You're telling me all of those times that I thought, oh, man, here I am again, two days into another relapse. Right? Here I am again, feeling all depressed and worthless. and Right? But every day I say things like, this is just as good as it's going to get. Right? Maybe I, maybe this is supposed to happen to me. Or something or something always happens. Right? We use things like that. These why try statements come true because we don't believe that standing tough and getting through the rough times right we don't believe that doing it works come hell or high water will make any real difference so we give up and bad things begin to happen again had we fought and stayed on the recovery path we would have eventually gotten through it whatever it might be a mental health relapse or a substance abuse relapse right might have gotten through it and the quality of our life would continue to improve self-fulfilling prophecy quit talking about how things usually get I remember having friends in recovery that would be like, I usually last about six months, man, and something happens. Quit talking like that. Get more and more prepared for the end of the six-month period. Mm -hmm. Right? Boxers don't go, I'm, I got a fight in about three months. I'll hit the gym today, and then we'll just see how it goes. That don't happen. That don't happen. They fight through the cold, the flu. They fight through family and work stressors. They're in the ring, boxing it out every day. All the way up until the fight comes. Right? Sometimes, what I'm trying to get at here, some of the stressors that we've been talking about, right? Some of them we've brought on ourselves. A self-fulfilling prophecy. Right? Had we fought and stayed on the recovery path, we would have eventually gotten through it, and the quality of our life would be continuing to improve. Instead, things went downhill fast because we relapsed. The truth it didn't have to happen that way. 
It happened because we believed the lie. Right? We didn't have faith that our struggle to get through tough situations would pay off. If you don't believe in yourself, ooh, man, man, if you don't believe in yourself, how's anybody supposed to help you? If your mentality is already preparing to fail, right? If your mentality is such that we can sense that you're already preparing to fail, I don't ask why. I ask why not. Right? We stop trying. You have to know, alcoholics and addicts, that getting clean and sober doesn't exempt you from life's stressors. You can't keep going through it every day going, Oh man, why are we clean and sober? I got this thing. My car won't start. What's one guy do with the other? It's a stressor that everyday people go through. Cars don't start sometimes. Right? Cars don't start sometimes. Now the wife's mad at me. I can't pick her up from work again. Man, it just keeps piling up, don't it? Stop it. Stop it. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Look it up. Google it, as they say, right? It's just something that happens. We have to change our words. We have to be doing more positive thinking. We have to do more positive things. We have to be hanging around more positive people, right? And if we can change all that, more than likely we'll come with more positive actions and more positive Results. Get away from this self-fulfilling prophecy thing. Everybody's got stressors in their life. Everybody deals with them differently. Find somebody, one of your clean and sober friends, and ask them. When stress comes to you, because it does, don't let them lie. When stress comes to you, and things happen in your life that create real stress... How do you handle it? How do you handle it? What do you do differently than I do? Because I want to turn to drugs and alcohol, right? So you kind of got to figure it out what it is that they do. Some people pray and meditate. Some people exercise. Some people do whatever. You know, as soon as I throw those words out there, some people will go, oh, no. I ain't doing that. That's what I'm talking about. Right? After I straightened up and I got a handle on the depression and the anxiety and the anger issues and I quit abusing alcohol to medicate those things and I got life on track and things were going really well for me, right? And my wife and I, you know, speeding up, I've talked about it before, uh, years ago, we used to facilitate a celebrate recovery meeting. It's a faith-based 12-step meeting, right? And we used to go to other meetings too, just because we always enjoyed doing things uh, especially in our church and their group stuff. Um, loved it. But it never failed. People would be like, man, we want to do what y'all did. How did y'all do it? How did you break through all of those things? 
and I start explaining, and again, this is just me. I've mentioned in an earlier podcast that uh, I am a faith guy. I do believe in God, and um, but I don't push it on anybody. I am just here to share my experience, strength, and hope, right? And that does include uh, some faith-based things. So, anyway, after they ask this question, they're so puzzled, and, and they can't figure out how we made it through it. And I go, well, one of the things I started doing, right, was stop the drinking, work on my depression and anxiety, work on my anger issues, right? Then we started going to church, and I started reading the Bible, and I started reading some faith-based exercises, found some faith-based workbooks. My wife went to, and I went to couples counseling. We go to couples meetings, and oh my gosh, you don't know how many times I've heard, oh, I don't want to do all that. It's like, really? I'm giving you the recipe. I'm giving you the recipe to change your life, especially if it includes a significant other. You may want to find out if your significant other wouldn't be willing to try. Right? Because I do know one thing. If nothing changes, nothing changes. So here I am explaining all of these things to these people that I did. Right? We do prayer and meditation. And oh my gosh, it's just amazing. Well, that's a lot of work. I don't know if I want to do that. Like, you got to be kidding me. You came to me. And most of the time, if they're coming through Celebrate Recovery, they're coming to me in some degree of desperate situation, right? Whether the wife or husband's already left them or on the verge of, and they're arguing, um, right? All of these things are in another meeting. In a regular meeting, they can already have had that happen, right? And they're trying to figure out what they need to do to bring some peace back into their house, Right. And they're working on trying to, you know, reconnect with their spouse and they're trying to get into things that they hope will help them reconnect. But when you start describing that it takes a heck of a lot more than just going into a AA or NA meeting and sitting in a chair or going back to church or to a new church and just warming a seat, right? There's a lot more work that goes into it than that. A lot more work. I call it osmosis. You're hoping to gain some great wisdom in those meetings or churches just by having your ass in a seat, right? It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. You got to put some work into it. You got to put some work into it, right? That's just what happens. If your spouse is willing to, then maybe something should be considered. Whether it's church or not, again, you know, that's on on you. If you're a faith-based family and maybe you've just kind of slid out of church and you haven't gone in a while, talk about going back, right? Talk about it. If you're really trying to work things out, maybe you should see a marriage therapist, right? Stress bothers everybody, and we don't have to create more or create our own. It just comes, right? Alarm about the stressor, man. The first 
reaction to high levels of stress is to become more emotional, more intense, and more sensitive and alert to what's going on. Sometimes we overreact. People also make an effort toward self-control. And at the same time, they may use various self-defense mechanisms like I've mentioned. Um, you know, such as the denial and repression. They may feel anxiety and tension, have an upset stomach even, and, and feel less efficient. These are all signs that existing personal resources are not enough to cope with the stress. You gotta find some help, right? Do something. Some resistance to a stressor. If the stressor continues, people often unconsciously intensify the use of self-defense mechanisms and other coping strategies. They may show signs of severe psychological strain. You ever seen when somebody has had a nervous breakdown? No mental health issues at all before. But all of a sudden, there's a nervous breakdown. That's what that is. And you got to get ahead of it. Way ahead of that, anyway. Check your stressors. Find a way to cope with them. And don't invent more for yourself. Right? Don't invent more for yourself. It's a crazy thing, stress. And it bothers everyone. Clean or sober or not. You're not exempt. I'm not exempt. I appreciate your time. Hope you get something out of this podcast. Um, until next time, hopefully you have some peace in your life. Bye for now.